Holy Chit, a spiritual podcast with Reverend Bonnie Rose. Each week we'll try to bring a talk from the past so you can hear what you missed. This week's old shit from the Ventura Spiritual Center for Living is from November 25, 2020. The talk is entitled, The Gravity of Grace. Relax and enjoy. Here's Bonnie Rose. So last Monday was one of those mornings. I was hiking in Ojai with my dogs and my friend Jeff and his dog, three Vishlas, three very rowdy pointers. And we were having a great conversation. And I stopped and I paused. I think we both did. And I took a moment to take in where we were standing on this mountain where we could see the ocean and the Channel Islands. We could see the pink light of the sunrise on another mountain. We could see all of the, the foliage. We knew that there was wildlife around because my dog was acting suspicious. <laughs> we were engaged in a deep conversation with a friend that I've known since I was 19 in a relationship that has stood the test of time. And just for a fleeting moment, I think we both realized that in that moment, perhaps in every moment, life is infused with grace. It was very much like the poem that Hugh just read with the, the delphiniums and the, the foxglove, the di digitalis, the, the, uh, the three dogs lying at her feet, the bounty from the garden. And we just took in what we had been given. And Jeff said, you know what? Grace is like gravity. It's everywhere. Can you feel that? Grace is like gravity. It's everywhere. And then sometimes we say, is it? Is grace really everywhere? When there are challenges in the world, when we're experiencing challenges, when we are feeling unwell or we can't pay our bills or we're having relationship challenges, is grace really everywhere? Is grace really like gravity? And I would say yes. Gravity is a spiritual law, a physical law, rather. Gravity is a physical law. We can rely upon it. I'm not liable to walk out the door of the church today and go floating off into outer space, saying to Hugh, please take care of the rabbit. <laughs> she likes blueberries. <laughs> I'll see you when I get back. <laughs> we can count on gravity. And I think that the same thing is true for grace. Grace is a spiritual law. People much wiser than me, mystics throughout the ages, have acknowledged the presence of grace in everything. Ernest Holmes, the founder of our religion, he said that we are fed from the table of the universe whose grace and truth are the cornerstones of reality. So grace is a cornerstone of reality. And then the Joel Goldsmith quote that I'm so fond of, of quoting is that, that God cannot give us anything because God has already given us everything. And we didn't do anything to earn it, did we? We just showed up and existed. And we have flowers and dogs and rabbits and cats and, and a beautiful building. And we've got sky and ocean and relationships and joy and laughter and music. All of this stuff that we did nothing to earn. 
God has given us everything, and it is a cornerstone of reality. So why is it that we don't realize or experience grace all of the time? Well, again, Ernest Holmes said, grace is, but we need to recognize it. It is not something that God imposes upon us. It is the logical result of the acceptance of life and a correct relationship to the Spirit. We are saved by grace to the extent that we believe in and accept and seek to embody the law of good. In other words, what Ernest Holmes is saying there is that we experience grace to the extent that we are willing to embody, perceive, encounter grace, welcome grace. Grace will not force itself upon us or it wouldn't be grace. We have to open ourselves to receive it. And so that's what, that's what today is about. It's about, as I'm fond of saying, becoming a wide receiver. <laughs> Understanding that grace is always there for us and we simply have to welcome in. And let me rephrase that a little bit. Grace is always there for us and for everyone, no matter what. We simply have to welcome it in. And when we are, quote-unquote, saved by grace, lifted up out of the doldrums or the challenges of living by grace, then we become a beacon of grace. And as Bill said in his message, this is a ripple effect that blesses all beings, that blesses the planet, that blesses the universe. So that is our joyful task for today, is to open ourselves up to a greater experience of grace. Because not only is grace, <laughs> is grace like gravity, that there is a gravity to grace, a seriousness about grace. Back several years ago, one of the slogans for this, this center that I used to say is that we are serious about our joy. And I am completely serious about grace because I know how powerful it is. How powerful it is for us personally, how powerful it is for us as a community, and power, how powerful it is for blessing the entire world, all beings everywhere. So often, when I am called upon to do a spiritual message on Sunday, once a week for 17 years. <laughs> this actually is my 17th anniversary of the first time I stood on this stage for my audition. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yep. Didn't think I was going to last, but I did. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> when I am called to do a, a Sunday message, I pay attention a lot more for the whole week prior, but especially as time is getting closer and I'm thinking, I don't really know what to say, I start paying attention even more because if I'm, if I'm true to principle, if I'm true to what I preach, then I know that there is a sermon out there that needs to get in here and if I would only receive it and open myself and stop telling myself I don't have anything to say, then maybe I'll have something to say, right? Is that true for anybody else here? <laughs> Whether it's about a sermon or something else. So I pay attention, and one of the things that I pay attention to is dreams. And so on Friday night, as I was preparing for Saturday morning to get up and, and figure out what I was going to say, today I had this dream. Now, you all know that dreams are about all of us. I'm going to talk about it like it's about me, but it's really about all of us. It's an every man, every woman story. 
And in this dream, we at Ventura Center for Spiritual Living were hosting a spiritual fair. And it was post-COVID. <laughs> and we had all of these tents around. I don't know where, because we don't really have any property, but we had all of these tents around, vast numbers of tents. And, and people weren't wearing masks, and people were connecting and hugging, and it was beautiful. But then I encountered a friend who was crying. She was crying on her husband's shoulder, and I asked her, what's, what's wrong? What happened? And she said that she had gone to see, in the spiritual fair, she had gone to see one of the counselors, and the counselor told her all kinds of bad stuff about her, how she wasn't doing spirituality right, how she wasn't tithing enough, how she wasn't doing principle enough, how she wasn't praying properly, all of this stuff to try and fix her. Now, my response to that was, you give me her name. I'm going to go there and kick some booty. <laughs> I'm going to take care of that counselor right now. Get her, drop kick her Jesus through the goalpost of whatever. Hell. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> so I was, you know, girding my loins. Exactly. Where is the loin, actually? Well, maybe I shouldn't go there right now. <laughs> but anyway, I was girding something. And, <laughs> and, in the meantime, this person, this congregant, had wandered back into the tent and had sat down with another counselor. And so I went in to see how she was doing, and as I approached her, I heard the counselor say to her, so who really is holding you hostage to your thoughts that you're having about this situation? And I woke up. <laughs> that felt like a bit of a revelation. Who is holding you hostage to the thoughts that you're having about anything? Who is responsible for the thoughts that you have about anything? Certainly what we're exposed to can influence our thoughts. The people that we encounter can influence our thoughts. But who is making the choice to expose ourselves to those things or to encounter those people? Certainly the things that we read can influence our thoughts. The things that we watch on television can influence our thoughts. That's a little scary given some of the stuff I watch. But, <laughs> but who is making the choice to watch and to read those things? It's us. We are ultimately responsible for the quality of our thoughts. And if we are feeling like we are being held hostage by our thoughts, we are both the hostage and the hostage holder. Take that in for just a moment and think about something that you're complaining about, something that you think is not fair, something that you think is not as it should be, something that feels wrong in your life, something that feels stressful or distressful in your life, something that feels unwell in your life, and notice your thought about it and ask yourself, am I holding myself hostage to this thought right now, and can it be changed? What I have found in my years of being a minister and my years of counseling with people or teaching classes is that probably the biggest hostage holder is the thought that we are separate from our good, that life is not as it should be. Life is not going the way that we want it to go in this moment, so therefore life is not as it should be. And we tell ourselves that constantly, over and over and over again, till it becomes a reality. But it is not the reality. It is the perspective. 
What if the presence that makes the light shine on Ojai mountains, makes them pink in the morning and in the evening, the presence that assembled these three dogs that, that scamper around us when we hike, the presence that inspires deep friendships for years and years and years, the presence that assembled this spiritual community, the presence that places the grains of sand on the, on the beach and causes the tides to go back and forth and spins the planets and causes the giant redwood trees to grow and the tiniest flower lost in the woods. What if the presence that makes all of that happen, what if that presence really truly does have everything in hand and that everything is unfolding exactly as it should? Can we get in line with that and recognize that if something does need to change, that our ability to trust that everything is unfolding as it should, maybe that is there to inspire us to a greater sense of grace and a greater sense of seeing the gift in what is happening and inspiring us to address the change in a way that recognizes its perfection but also sees something beyond current circumstances. This step into greater grace, greater acceptance, loving what is as it is, serving what is as it is, is a key to happiness, a key to healing, and a key to changing the world, blessing the world for all beings everywhere. Because so often we come at it from a place of aggression and anger, and this shouldn't be, and I'm going to change this, and God is not in this situation. It's not as effective as coming from a place of grace and innocence. So I woke up after the dream with these thoughts about this idea of being held hostage, and I recognized a process, a process that occurs within me and perhaps all of us that keeps me out of the place of recognizing the grace. And it's helpful to know what the process is so that we can lovingly and mindfully correct it if we want to. Again, grace will not force itself upon us. Grace has to be welcomed, and we are the welcomers. So I noticed three eyes, and that's the letter I, not three eyes. <laughs> the first eye was indignation. I'm laughing because we're so cute when we're indignant, aren't we? Just so cute. I mean, who here has ever been, and at home, has ever been indignant? Just raise your hand. <laughs> Righteous indignation, you know? So sure that you are right and the other is wrong. So sure that your life should be the way that you want it to be and the way that it's showing up is wrong. It reminds me of this wonderful quote by George Bernard Shaw that we reviewed in a meeting the other day. I'm going to read it for you because I love it. The true joy in life, the healing is being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being of a force of nature, here's the indignant part, instead of a feverish, selfish, little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. <laughs> I've been there. Have you? <laughs> so indignation is a thing that I think most humans experience, righteous indignation. And, you know, 
It's, it's so tricky because there are injustices in the world, but again, the approach to injustice is not most effective when we're coming at it with a sense of moral indignation. It's much more effective if we come at it with a place of kindness. But that being said, even indignation, because everything is grace, grace is gravity, and gravity is grace, everything is grace, even in indignation, this thing that we might uh, chastise ourselves for having, that we might blame ourselves for having, it's part of the human experience, and it's also a grace in that it may lead us, if we're mindful, to something greater. So when we're in a sense of indignation, perhaps we have a friend, a spouse, a partner, a spiritual community, a higher self that will say, wow, you are really telling the world or telling other people what they need to be, how they need to be, what they need to do. Perhaps step back. Perhaps see that you are being held hostage by your own thoughts. It's not about that other person. It's your thoughts about that other person. And step back and see if there's something better. A more effective, more productive, kinder, and thus more powerful way to be with this. That leads, I believe, to the second eye, which is introspection. Looking at ourselves with kindness, grace, and mindfulness, recognizing that the fact that we can look at ourselves is again a form of grace, that we can, we can look at our minds and see what we're doing and make choices. What grace is that? It's a beautiful thing. So we introspect, and we see that how sometimes we're like that first therapist, right, in the dream, the first therapist in the dream that was telling my friend, our congregant, everything that she was doing wrong and how she should be different and how she should be better and how she should really devote herself to, to being a different kind of person. Or we can look at the second therapist who asked the question, and this is the key, who or what? is holding us hostage in the situation. When I am choosing, choosing sometimes against what feels like my own will, but just trying to do the right thing, choosing to be mindful and introspective, when I'm in a state of righteous indignation, when I am choosing to do that, to align myself with a greater sense of grace, I often turn to the work of Byron Katie. Byron Katie asks us to fill out a judge your neighbor worksheet, and you don't actually have to fill it out, but you can do it in your head if you want. And in that worksheet, we are supposed to say out loud or in print or in your head, you're just supposed to verbalize it and see it and shine a light on it. We are supposed to say everything that we think should be different. That person should be nicer. That person shouldn't leave his crap all over the place. That person shouldn't, shouldn't, I don't know, I, I don't want to get too crazy here with examples because I'll start, I'll start naming names, okay? <laughs> don't want to do that. That person should be different. This situation should be different. I should be healthier. I shouldn't have this illness. I should be, I should be a better person. I shouldn't have doubt. I shouldn't have fear. All of these things that we think should or shouldn't be, we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves that over and over again. So how wonderful to get that up to the light and be able to see it. And so we pick one. Let's say we're just picking the one that says that person should be different. <laughs> again, anyone have that experience of saying that to yourself? That person should be different? 
right? And we may not be quite so overt about it. It's usually more subtle. But at the bottom line of our, a lot of our complaining about other people, it's that person should be different. That person should be a prop in my mini-series showing up exactly as I want them to show up. So Byron Katie asks us to get all that out, and then we start questioning it. We say, is it true? Should that person really be different? Probably a lot of us will say, dang right, they should be different. <laughs> but then we ask again, are we absolutely sure it's true? And hopefully, in that second question, are we absolutely sure it's true? Look, notice the word absolutely. In absolute reality, isn't there a power and a presence that monitors everything, that creates everything? And we don't know if there's a bigger plan and that maybe this person is showing up in our life simply so that we can do this work. So we ask ourselves, is it true? Are we absolutely sure it's true? The answer at some point is no. We're not absolutely sure it's true. And then we ask ourselves, how do I feel when I have that thought about this person? How does that make me feel? Probably not good. You know, righteous indignation feels okay for a while. It aligns us with um, a lot of negativity, though. So when we really go deep, we recognize that indignation doesn't feel good. It feels like we're claiming separation and we're building up a wall between ourselves and another. And that is out of alignment with true spiritual principle where we are all one. So we ask ourselves, how do I feel when I have that thought? And then we ask ourselves, who would I be without that thought? And that's where the release comes. That's the release comes when we say, you know, if I wasn't righteously in, in indignant about this, if I wasn't telling that person they should be different, ultimately, I would be free. I would be free. Whenever I teach this, the objection is always, well, that person's going to just run amok and do everything bad, and that person's going to walk all over me, and, that, and this situation is going to go out of control. But it doesn't happen that way. As soon as we become free, we open ourselves up to a pool of creativity that we didn't know existed. And that's why the third I is inspiration. Inspiration. Inspiration to know the truth when we see it. Inspiration to hold the third force. This is for, this is against, this is denying, this is affirming. And we hold, we sit in the paradox of that, we hold it tenderly and gently, and we await for this greater presence and this greater power to show us how to be in the situation. And ultimately, everybody is liberated. But it takes stamina, it takes practice, and most of all, it takes the desire to be a place of grace. I'm going to read the end of that. Oscar Wilde, sorry, I always call it Oscar Wilde, this George Bernard Shaw, <laughs> George Bernard Shaw quote, you know, the one about the uh, feverish, selfish clod of ailments. Remember that? Remember that? Grievances and ailments, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. So what he says then is, I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live it, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch which I have got hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. That's what I want. 
I want that for me. I want that for all of us. I want that for this community. I want that for the whole world. I don't think we're going to get that if we're stuck in our stuff, if we're stuck in our story, if we're being held hostage by thoughts that do not serve the greater whole. If we are able to move into that place where we find a greater sense of grace, then life becomes that bright candle that is a, a torch, a triumph, a beacon to the entire world. And we are part of that. We are part of the, the particle of light that shines out this grace and this goodness to everyone. Some things that I would recommend for practicing this is to certainly stay alert, to stay mindful, to do whatever you can, to stay mindful and alert. Maybe get a mindfulness partner and make a pact that whenever I start complaining about whatever I complain about, to just kind of say, hey, who's holding you hostage? <laughs> and you have to promise not to you know, slap them if they do that, okay? Because we don't always want to hear that. <sighs> the other thing that occurred to me is that there is a fourth eye, and that is innocence, the eye of innocence. I was reading something the other day, I don't remember what it was, but it was a new concept to me. It said, what if you, instead of making people guilty, what if you gave everyone the benefit of the doubt? It's not easy. <laughs> Somebody's going to pieces in the front row over here. <laughs> it's not easy. And maybe people are doing really dark and evil and bad things. And if that's the case, what if you could just know that at one time that person was an innocent baby, an innocent child, and perhaps a kernel of that innocence exists within them you know, one of the things that I do for um, politics therapy and COVID therapy and when there's a lot of uh, dissent in the world, when there's racism and all that stuff going on, I, I look at videos of children, young children receiving pets. Oh, it is so heartwarming. These little children, Susie's nodding, I've sent her some of them. <laughs> These little children, they, they, get, they get like a little kitty cat and they're like, <laughs> and the mother's like, why, why are you crying? And they're like, because I love him. I love him. <laughs> and my friends, that was all of us. That was all of us before the world got to us and told us that we had to hold ourselves and others hostage. That was all of us when we could see grace, when we could see innocence, we could see innocence in ourselves. That was all of us. So if we remember that, for the people that we are judging, for the people that we are holding guilty, remember that that person was once a young child. We have no idea what kind of glorious changes that can make. That's not to say that people should not be held accountable. I'm not saying that at all because accountability is a form of grace. If somebody does something bad, they need to be restrained, right? But we don't have to come at it like we're in psycho, right? In psycho in the shower curtain scene. As I said in the Rumi's field class that I taught, you know, it's not psycho. It's more like a surgical intervention. We're like, oh, there's something there that needs to be addressed. Let me address that. Let me take that thing out. Let me prevent this person from doing further harm to themselves with calmness and kindness and mindfulness and seeing the core of innocence that abides in everyone. You see, that's the thing. You know, the more we're able to see the innocence that abides in everyone, 
the more we're able to see the innocence that abides in ourselves. And you are so worthy of that. You were brought here by grace, as grace. And so I invite you to practice. I invite you to welcome grace. I invite you to be the place where grace shines its light. Do that. You'll change your heart. And you'll bring good to the world in ways beyond what we can know, but ways that are miraculous. Let's do that now. Let us pray. Thanks for listening to this week's Old Holy Chit, a spiritual podcast with Reverend Bonnie Rose. If you like what you hear, come join us in person at the Ventura Center for Spiritual Living. Check us out online at www.venturacsl.org. Be sure to subscribe. And so it is.